What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the College Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Smith. We've got a loaded schedule today. You probably saw the thumbnail and wonder what in the world is going on if you're watching on YouTube or if you saw the title on one of the streaming platforms. But I do want to get into this JMU versus the NCAA situation. I think it could have some impacts on the New Year's Six race, particularly for the American Conference and the Mountain West Conference. I'll explain what's going on there. Some news broke yesterday. In regards to that, if you don't already know, JMU is ineligible for a bowl game and even to play in their own conference championship game uh, because of a two-year transitional window but going from FCS to FBS. I'll get into that in just a second. I also have a what I call mailbag question. It came from one of the comments yesterday from a Temple fan. I thought that was a good question that they asked as a response to yesterday's episode. So I'm going to do my best to give my answer to that and then throw it out to some of y'all, especially some of you, you know, longtime Big East fans turned American athletic fans, you know, because your team was a part of that transition. Be curious to know your thoughts on this as well. But I also want to say before I get into it all, just a reminder, next Monday, so several days from now, I will be at the American Conference Basketball Media Days. Go look at who's going to be there. Go look at um, as far as which players. Obviously, all the teams and coaches are going to be there. If you have certain questions and things of that nature, let me know. And of course, I'll do my best to um, get those answers. I'm also trying to get a sit down uh, or, or some one-on-one time with Commissioner Oresco. I've got some questions for him as well that I'd love to get hear from him directly, just particularly in regards to a lot of things we've been talking about on this show. So that is coming up. I'm going to be doing some traveling next week. Got a surprise for the listener base. Um, and, and we'll be doing some on-location stuff next week as well. And then I might conclude the week next Friday with a live stream watch party for the Memphis Tulane, that game is huge for the conference. And yeah, so with all that being said, if you're watching on YouTube, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, watch it to the end, leave a comment, share it with a friend. If you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, please leave a five-star rating, write a positive review. I'd greatly appreciate all of that stuff. And uh, let's get into this. I wanna start with the mailbag. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Jack Orlando. Shout out, Jack. Thank you for this question. And I'm also, I'm going to try and do a better job of like doing more of this as far as when you leave questions that I think would be good discussion points, actually bringing them on to the next episode instead of just responding in the comments. So uh, it says, regarding keeping teams happy, I'm curious what your thoughts are on if all parties would benefit by Temple taking a reduced share and becoming football only. Seems like only Memphis and Wichita State would be harmed by this since it would reduce everyone's travel. I'm a basketball first Temple fan for what it's worth when the AAC added six Southern teams and continued the Fort Worth tourney, talking about the basketball tournament, uh, tourney location, it became clear how much Oresco values Temple. Very fair question. Uh, thank you, Jack. Uh, and just in case you didn't see yesterday's episode, I did talk about some of the hurdles but with, with the Army, with the adding Army to the American Conference. Obviously, um, as we've discussed prior to now, the, the details surrounding the Army-Navy game, 
Army's current contract with CBS Sports Network. And then they have about $35 million worth of scheduled games over the next however many years. And so working through some of those kinks, and I was just talking about, okay, if you're an existing member, do you how much of the pot do you want the conference di- dipping into as far as the exit fee money from teams that have already left? And then the what you're, whatever you're about to get from SMU, how much of that do you want to dip into to assist Army transition when that could be going to you? And so that was kind of, I think, what sparked this particular question. But here's my answer. It says, where is it? Would, it? would all parties benefit? I don't know that Temple benefits from this. Unless this is assuming that Temple is going to try and go the UConn path and get in the Big East Basketball Conference and then keep football in the American. Other than that, I'm assuming this isn't meaning that Temple would go back to the Atlantic 10. I'm assuming it's them trying to get into the Big East. That's the only way I could see it financially making sense for Temple, unless there's a piece here that I'm missing. But that's my first thing. I don't know that that's what's best for Temple. And then thinking about the conference, I don't know that keeping Temple as a football-only school is what's best for the American Conference because I, and this could just be the nostalgia part of me. I mean, you could tell by looking at my background here, those of you that watch, like I, I, I'm a 90s, I, was, I grew up in the 90s. I'm an 80s baby, grew up in the 90s. And so when I think of Temple, I still think of a very marketable basketball brand. And I think for the American Conference, having that Temple basketball is important when it comes to negotiating media deals. As we just saw yesterday, the amount of exposure that the basketball teams in the American are going to get on linear coverage is pretty extensive, obviously with Memphis leading the way. But especially some of you newcomers, you're looking at the schedule going, oh my gosh, I haven't seen this many, I haven't seen my team with this many linear games ever, likely. Teams like North Texas or Florida Atlantic, So I think Temple, you know, they got the new coach that just came in. I know they had some down years here with the previous guy. Um, Really since COVID, it seems like, hadn't really been able. But I guess that was when the the two coaches ago, when he had left, if I'm remembering correctly. But bottom line is I still think Temple is a marketable basketball brand. I still think that Temple can be successful in the American Conference. Maybe not. I'm sure some of you Temple people that listen to this will have, have, have plenty of thoughts on that. But I think it's a team that could be successful in the conference, and I think that they add value to the conference on the basketball side of things. Now, I don't want to take away from football. Like It wasn't that long ago when Matt Rule was arguably a possession or two away from getting Temple into the New Year's Six game. So I think with football, if they could just get get it together on that front as well, this could be a good all-around program to have. Then you look at what that reduced revenue share would be. Would it really move the needle for other teams in the conference to really benefit from that? Because I think last year or the year before, they drew 7.7, million, something like that. So what are we talking that reduced share would be? Are you going to take $2 million? Are you going to take $1 million, two and a half? I'm not like a guru when it comes to how those numbers work, but I could imagine that like whatever you're able to like save from doing football only, 
I mean, how much of that can you really distribute out to the rest of the conference? So my thought is, and I'm okay if anyone disagrees with this, but my thought is, is Temple needs to stay a full member. That's what adds the most value to the conference. And I think that's what's best for Temple. I don't know that right now Temple basketball can go do like what UConn did. I mean, keep in mind, UConn won a national title as an American conference team. Then they ended up making the leap. But honestly, I feel like if Temple wanted to do that, Commissioner Oresco would probably treat it the same way as, it, as he did with UConn, where UConn now has you know football independent, and we see how that's working out for him. I thought they were on the up and up. I thought they were positioning themselves for a Big 12 invite, which I still think they would have gotten had the pack not just completely bottomed out the way it did. Um, but those are my thoughts on that. I appreciate that question. And like I said, those of you that you know are, are watching right now or listening, uh, I'm going to do my best to try and incorporate those more uh, throughout the week. Obviously, it being a weekly show, I'm sure I can incorporate that a couple different times as far as bringing a mailbag question on. All right, let's get to the meat of today's episode with this James Madison stuff. So I'm pulling up an article here by the uh, Daily News Record, and it was written by Shane Metlin. Metlin or Metalin. I will put the link down in the description. It says, Virginia Attorney General pushes NCAA to make JMU postseason eligible. Let me give you some quick background on this in case you don't know. James Madison University, they're in a two-year transitional window from FCS to FBS. Typically, team th this was put in place by the NCAA to help teams acclimate, to help them get their recruiting, to help them get themselves competitive for the FBS level. JMU comes in year one, and had it not been for this ban, they would have played in their conference championship. They were a co-division champion with, I don't remember who it was, but I think they had the tiebreaker. If you happen to be a Sunbelt person watching this, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they had the tiebreaker, but because they were ineligible, the other team got in. I just don't remember who it is. I don't have it in front of me. So point being is they come in, and from a competitive standpoint, they don't really need this transitional window. So what they did was is they applied for a, a waiver to essentially dismiss this second year to where they could come into 2023 and be eligible for postseason play. That got denied back in April. Well, if you haven't been paying attention, JMU right now is 4-0, 4-0, 5-0, what are they? No, they're 5-0, and and they have a Power 5 victory under their belt. Now, it's not the greatest Power 5 victory, but nonetheless, it's a Power 5 victory. And the latest AP poll, there's one G5 team in the top 25 and three G5 teams who received votes. JMU is one of those three that received votes. You have Fresno coming in at 24, Tulane and Air Force at eight and seven votes, respectively, and then JMU right behind them with three. They're cooking. And oh, by the way, they're good. I haven't watched them intently this season, but I have caught some of their games, including this past week against South Alabama. They're good. So now, here we are. You've got this 5-0 and with the Power 5 victory, getting votes in the AP poll. So like, if they were eligible, they'd be in the hunt for a New Year's 6 bid. Yet, they're still ineligible. 
So here's what the attorney general said. It's a Virginia attorney general, Jason S. Myaris. Myaris. Sorry if I'm, if I'm Myaris. Jason S. Myaris. Please correct me if I'm saying that wrong by sounding it out in the comments. This is why the NCAA is right now, I don't want to say universal, but at times a universally disliked entity. Because the way they set rules up, it's obvious they should have some discretion in how they apply. I think anyone who knows anything about the NCAA would agree with that statement right there. When you have a program that has done everything right, you should not deny these seniors their one last chance to compete for a championship and to get to a bowl game. The NCAA should use some common sense right now. Miaris sent a letter to NCAA President Charlie Baker this week, once again asking the college sports governing body to reconsider JMU's case. A request for comment from Excuse me, a request for comment from Baker and the NCAA wasn't immediately granted. And James Madison Athletic Director Jeff Bourne took a diplomatic approach in responding to Miaris's attempt to score his alma mater a reversal. And he said, you know, I'm not going to read the whole quote, but basically he said, from the beginning of our transition, as we announced on November 21, we fully understood the rules of the NCAA transition process. Um, that said, there is extensive evidence that JMU has transitioned unlike most institutions. That's a fact. Both in our competitive results in football over the last year and a half, and perhaps more importantly, in the operating infrastructure of our department and how we support our student athletes. And there's a lot more there. Like I said, if you want to read the whole thing, I'll put the, the article, uh, the link to the article below. Um, that's a fair statement by that AD, and it's true. And... I'll be shocked. No, I won't. I shouldn't say that. I won't be shocked because the NCAA does things that lack common sense all the time. But here's what I'll say as far as my opinion goes. JMU deserves to be bowl eligible this year because of everything I just read to you. Every The, the, the reasoning for the transitional period was meant to help programs, not punish them. So now you have a program that does not need the full window. So why are we punishing them when they've clearly shown they only they really didn't even need that one year? But if you're going to make them have a, have a transitional window, it only needs to be one year. This is a team right now that's scratching at the heels of the American Conference and the Mountain West Conference for a New Year Six bid. Think about it. Memphis and Tulane have a big showdown next Friday. That game right there, the winner of that game is, in my opinion, the American Conference's only hope at getting the New Year's Six bid. Fresno right now has, I mean, they control their own destiny, but they've got games at Wyoming. They've got to play this UNLV team that looks Pretty dang good in Barry Odom's first year. They've got Boise. And then I know San Diego State hasn't been playing well, but they've got a, that's their rivalry game that they play at SDSU at the end of the season. Point being is there's some potential losses there. Air Force, same thing. They've got to play Army and Navy. Okay? I don't care how good or bad Army and Navy are in any given year. Those are going to be competitive games. Plus, I think they're, are they at Boise this year? I don't know. I'm thinking about tomorrow, maybe doing a more deep dive into the pathways 
to a New Year's Six bid for each of the G5 conferences, but that's to be continued. Let me digress. The point I'm making here is that if Tulane drops that game to Memphis and then Memphis happens to drop another game throughout the season, which I think, I think both of those could be likely outcomes. I'm not saying they will happen, but if Memphis were to beat Tulane in Memphis next Friday, I don't think it's crazy to think they drop a game later in the season, even if it's in the conference championship. I don't think it's crazy to think that Fresno could drop one, maybe two of their games down the stretch. Same for Air Force. The next team in line would be JMU. Now, they don't have it easy either. They've, they've got, some, I mean, particularly they got a game at Marshall coming up where if Marshall beats, uh, I think they're at NC State this weekend, I wouldn't be shocked to see them getting votes. So I'm following this story as an American, as someone, you know, covering the American Conference because as the coach said here at the end, this was the last thing I was going to read from the article. It's uh, Kurt Signetti. He says, I really believe that at the end of the day, common sense prevails. This is the head coach of JMU. We have a number of very difficult challenges coming up down the road. I think six, seven, eight weeks from now, when we have a clear picture of who has done what, common sense will prevail. You can read into that what you want. We want to be successful every Saturday, week in and week out. We've been able to accomplish those goals. And if we are fortunate enough to keep accomplishing those goals, what do you think is going to happen? And I think what he's saying is exactly kind of, I just laid out all those scenarios. In other words, if we get six, seven, eight weeks down the line, JMU is sitting here undefeated in the top 25. And because of maybe how some of these other things have played out, they're the top ranked G5 team. Whether that means that Fresno has lost, Air Force has lost, Tulane and Memphis have lost, and now here they are. Are we really going to keep them out of the New Year's Six? That's what he's saying. Now, if you know anything about the NCAA, I wouldn't put it past the NCAA to still leave them out and keep them ineligible. Even though they clearly don't need, you know, the assistance of a transitional window, clearly. So I want to know your thoughts on this, whether you're watching, you're an American Conference fan, a Mountain West fan, or maybe you're a JMU or a Sunbelt fan, because I know we have some, some fans of that conference that tune in every now and then. And so i just curious, what are your thoughts? How do, you, do you see a scenario where JMU can get their ineligibility waived by the NCAA? Would it require them being the highest ranked G5 in a few weeks? And in order for that to happen, that means Fresno's got to lose, Air Force has to lose, Memphis and Tulane have to lose. I keep throwing Memphis in there because I feel like if Memphis beats Tulane, they're going to be getting some votes on the uh, AP Top 25. I, I, I mean, I would, I would think. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't really understand. Now, I get it. The AP Top 25 isn't the end-all, be-all, right? It's ultimately the CFP rankings. So maybe when they release those for the first time or the second time or the third time, whenever it is, if JMU's up there and they're knocking at the door, maybe we start to see some movement on this, but maybe not. I, I don't have faith in the NCAA to make the common sense decision. But obviously, the head coach of JMU does. And look, he's advocating for his program. The AD's advocating for his program. But 
I mean, you've got the attorney general pushing for this. If, if anything we've seen, particularly in realignment, even though this doesn't directly impact, you know, this isn't going through the NCAA, it's going through conferences and institutions, but the ACC did not want Stanford and Cal initially or SMU. But some politicians got involved, some people in power, some people in high places got involved, and then suddenly that tune shifted. So could this lobbying of the attorney general in Virginia be enough to persuade the NCAA to change their mind? <coughs> Excuse me. Y'all let me know. I think, I think it's going to take some lobbying from powerful people man excuse me combined with the dominoes falling in jmu's favor which starts with them continuing to win but then some of these other dominoes have to fall as well but like i said in the title of of this episode like if i'm a if i'm an american fan a mountain west fan like that's something i'm at least keeping an eye on but that's it for me today let me know your thoughts in the comments appreciate your support can't wait to just continue to grow this show, grow this podcast with all of you. Share it with somebody. If you've got a fan, who, a friend who's a fan of the Mountain West or the American Conference or the Sunbelt Conference, share this particular episode with them and then maybe they'll keep sticking around. I don't know. Either way, let me know your thoughts in the comments. I appreciate you tuning in, whether you're listening on one of the streaming platforms or watching on YouTube. I will see you tomorrow for Friday. We are one step closer to a college football Saturday and I'll be out. Trey Smith, College Game Time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.